Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now the title of this show, Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, is supposed to convey the idea that we need to go beyond science and religion in order to finally make sense of the world we live in. During our upbringing in culture and education, however, we tend to simplify things to understand them. We categorize, classify ideas, give them a name, and then put them on the shelf as if the job is done. For example, if somebody is a liberal, they have, they're supposed to have certain ideas. We could say the same thing for Republicans, for millennials, for all sorts of human and social categories. We do the same thing, however, for the big ideas. When we think of science, we think of the only legitimate way to view the world. When we think of religion, we think of old religious textbooks, books like such as the Bible or the Koran, and we put these categories on the shelf and as if the job is done, and we could say the same thing about the paranormal or the supernatural. We have these ideas that these things typically are viewed as being on the outskirts of human knowledge and that they are somehow apart from science and religion. But in almost all instances, these are generalities, and there's a logical fallacy. It's called a hasty generalization, which is um, meant to convey the notion that most generalities, if not all of them, are false, but that, but that is the way we think. In many instances, these categories come from hand-me-down beliefs, and they're not questioned for ages. In further instances, we have culture itself protecting these hand-me-down beliefs, and I have some examples I will give on this show where essentially modern science uh, tells us not even to pay any attention to the paranormal and, of course, disparages uh, religion and, and even the history of religion. Now, today I'm happy to have on my show somebody who was originally recommended by a listener, and after reading a few of his books, I was literally blown away. He, uh, he writes um, beyond religion. He's pushing science to uh, its extremes, and, try, and I, I also think that we'll see that he's, he's trying to really combine worldviews here, and what gives me hope that there is something to this notion of combining uh, a worldview or combining or transcending, I might say, even the worldviews of science and religion is that Mr. Dr uh, Mr. Jeffrey Kripal 
our guest here is also the J. The J. Newton Razor Professor of Religion at Rice University. He's well published, uh, and any one of his books is really worth picking up because they're mind-opening. Among those are Authors of the Impossible, The, the Paranormal and the Sacred, uh, a, another book that's uh, really his life work, I guess, at this point, called Secret Body, Erotic and Esoteric Currents in the History of Religion. There's Mutants and Mystics. And then he's got another very interesting book called Science Fiction, Superheroes, Comics, and the Paranormal, All in addition to another book he co-wrote with Whitley Stryber called The Supernatural. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Philip. Happy to be here. Great. Well, I appreciate you're doing the show, and this is the kind of thing that we really uh, try to do uh, on this show, which is to bring people like you who have studied these areas and bring what I would call an an enlightened, uh, mind-opening perspective to the ideas and thoughts that have persistently befuddled the mind. Uh, let's let's get things set here a little bit with some context. Uh, you clearly have um, marked for yourself, marked out for yourself, a a really um, open-minded approach to the study of religion. And in your book, the the secret body, you sort of go through. It's it's autobiographical in the beginning, and you go through your background and how you arrived at your current. Mindset. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this all happened? Well, it's a, it's a long story that I tell in Secret Body, but I'll, I'll keep it short. I, I mean, basically, um, I was trained in graduate school in a field called the history of religions, which most people would understand as comparative religion. And to compare religions fairly and deeply, one has to put all of the data on the table and treat it all in the same way. And so that's really the origin of my sort of comparative approach to this. The The interest in paranormal phenomena actually is quite late, Philip. I, I spent almost 20 years of my career studying erotic forms of mystical experience. I was really interested in gender and sexual orientation and orgasm and all of these sort of deeply physiological components of extreme religious experience. But somewhere back about 15 years ago, I was uh, working on a book called Esalen, America and the Religion of No Religion, which was about esoteric currents in the counterculture in California. And I kept running into people or meeting people who kept telling me these wild stories that I, I knew couldn't happen, um, but that I knew happened. And a lot of these stories, some people would describe as paranormal. And so I became really interested. I had spent my whole career studying texts and studying historical documents from the past. And suddenly I was confronted with all of these living, speaking human beings who were telling me the most extraordinary things. And, and I realized I didn't really have any way of even taking them seriously. I, I was trained in the study of religion and had been working in it for 25 years or so by then, and I'd really never read a single book on these phenomena, much less a book on how to 
interpret them. So in about 06 or 07, uh, I decided that that was a big problem and that was a really interesting question. And so I set off on the path of trying to understand why paranormal or psychical or miraculous phenomena were essentially taken off the table. And uh, that, that book became Authors of the Impossible, and then Mutants and Mystics, and then The Supernatural with Whitley, and finally Secret Body. So I've been at this about, I don't know, 13 years or so now. And uh, it's really my, my project. And, I, and I'm fascinated in it, not because I believe it all literally or, or think it's all literally true, but because I think these things happen all the time and that they carry profound philosophical uh, and even scientific implications that we haven't even begun to fathom. So, so what? Why do you think that we categorize the paranormal the way we do in our modern culture? Because it's it's a problem both from obviously it's a problem from the scientific perspective, uh, and and it, but it's also it's also prevalent. From the religious perspective, I mean, one one of the things I'm gonna I'm gonna um, quote here is there's this other there's this another book because I tend to go back and forth between the orthodox scientists and folks like you and and more um, original thinkers is here's a book by Sean Carroll called The Big Picture and Sean Carroll is a leading professor of physics at the California Institute of Technology he's written all sorts of books and he's actually he's actually a real smart guy but he has he has this uh, line in this in his new book called The Big Picture where he basically says that most people he goes most people believe in psychic phenomena or many people believe in psychic Phenomena, but they are for the most part dismissed in res- respectable circles of thought. So he's basically saying that nobody of intellectual rigor accepts the paranormal. What is your view of why that's the case? Well, first of all, he's sort of careful there. He says, for the most part, uh, it's it's simply not true that all intellectuals reject scientific phenomena, or that all scientists do. Uh, many are completely convinced that these are real phenomena. So that statement of his is actually not incorrect. Um, I think most most intellectuals in public will articulate something like that because that's the same sense's view of things and it protects their prestige and their their place in in the academy. Right. Right. But the deeper truth and the more interesting truth is that scientists and intellectuals not only witness these things all the time, but they actually experience them all the time. And if you get a couple beers in them or you get them out of the public eye and really start talking to them as human beings, they'll often open up and admit otherwise. Um, so. I think that's simply the human side of it. I think scientists and intellectuals are first and foremost human beings, and if they haven't experienced these things themselves, they have a family member or a loved one has, so they know better. But conventional science and its immense prestige and power and money in the public and and industrial and military realms works by radically excluding all forms of interiority or subjectivity. Science is a method, and it works really, really well 
to manipulate the physical world toward the production of technology and uh, phenomena. You, you have to remove subjectivity or consciousness from the equations to make science work. And that's why paranormal phenomena are so difficult for conventional scientists is because by definition they always involve a subjective element. A, a paranormal event for me is simply an event in the physical environment which corresponds almost perfectly to some state of mind or consciousness in the witness or the human being experiencing that event. So there's no way to separate the subjective and the objective or the mental and the material in these moments. And science can only work by doing exactly creating the mental and material. So it's not that I'm against science, it's just that the scientific method is completely inappropriate to get at what's actually going on here, which is something profoundly subjective interacting with something objective. Well, that's the problem. That, that sounds too abstract, but that's basically the problem. Well, there, there is this, this fundamental assumption that modern science makes, which is that uh, the, the world we experience is independent of consciousness or that the independent world um, or that consciousness arises from the material world. And there is a, in, in uh, Steven Weinberg's book, Dreams of a Final Theory, which I refer to a lot, he's got a, he's got a, a passage in there where he criticizes uh, those who give any credence to uh, the paranormal by asking the question, what, what possible physical force can be measured to prove a mind over matter event? In other words, science is looking for a particle being um, transferred from the brain to, like, the bended spoon, and they can't find anything. Therefore, the particle doesn't exist. Therefore, the, the spoon can't be bended. And, and so by taking that structural assumption to the independent world, uh, science cannot, to me, modern science cannot accept the paranormal because they have the materialistic um, preconception. And what what you're saying and what I would say is that, well, that rules out a large part of the human experience because you right. and so so if we're going to be true scientists, then we're going to have to look at the, the full range of human experiences, including including all this like Moses parting the Red Sea. Well, or you know, or Moses bringing the Ten Commandments, or any of the thousands of of paranormal, near death, precognitive dreams, all these, all these things that you write about in Authors of the Impossible and elsewhere. Uh, so, so we have to rule all that stuff out. And so, I'm reading you as saying that that we need to um, view the the supernatural as really part of the natural that there isn't a distinction between the real and the unreal that it's really part of the same world is that a correct statement that's certainly close i mean the the weinberg quote you referenced earlier what i'm trying to say is that that kind of reasoning is entirely circular you you begin with an assumption that there are only physical forces in the world 
and then you say we can't find any physical forces in spoon bending therefore it doesn't happen right so you're just proving your own assumptions i mean it's it goes around and around and around and of course it's true within those assumptions but those assumptions are what i'm challenging that that the world is not just a collection of mechanical or mathematical physical forces that it's minded it's it's the consciousness is distributed throughout the cosmos all the way down and all the way up and you cannot understand reality by just looking at in a third person objective way at physical forces that'll tell you something but it, right. it'll also take it'll also erase a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff and um i think that's exactly where we're at yeah yeah one of the questions that, or one of the observations i would make here is and i will ask you i'll frame it as a question is and that is by 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 classifying uh the supernatural out of the scientific world have have we restricted ourselves are we ultimately shortchanging ourselves as human beings by writing right by writing off the supernatural well of course we are i but remember again when i talk about the supernatural maybe we should tell your listeners right. i'm using it in in this with a space between super and natural um, the the old medieval sense of supernatural referred to some kind of personal god that existed entirely outside the natural order and intervened in miraculous ways, like the, your parting of the Red Sea or, or you know, the, the, the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai or something. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking uh, – what I'm saying is that the sciences have fundamentally – transformed our religious imagination and that we can still talk about these extraordinary events but they're probably better framed as supernatural two words not one word in other words it's the natural world behaving in a way that is simply beyond or above super to our present scientific understanding it doesn't mean that it can't be explained or can't be understood it's just that we don't at the moment and so it's supernatural and and that's essentially what the word paranormal meant by the way when it was coined in 1903 by a french researcher he did not mean uh god intervening in the world in miraculous ways he meant phenomena that happen all the time always around human beings that we don't understand yet but which are very real that's what he meant yeah and that seems to be you know pretty close to um well it's it's similar to arthur c clark's comment about the um the difference between what magic and science and what magic is something that people don't don't yet understand um I I'm also looking at right now as as I was preparing for the show on my shelf I have Lyle Watson's Supernature written in 1973 and then here's Beyond Supernature this is 1988 and these two books are sort of early books in in looking at really the synchronicities of um of the nature, the fine-tuning issues, and and he also gets into a lot of uh, what we would call paranormal events. But I I personally think 
that is a very healthy way to look at things uh, because it goes to this this fundamental point of of science and it's not just science i think it's it's fact gathering i mean i'm a practicing lawyer and when you are investigating any event you are looking at the facts looking at what people say and you're trying to uh, judge them in terms of credibility if you come into an investigation with a preconceived notion such as all people uh, that wear hoodies are therefore liars or or you think that all people under five foot eight uh, don't have anything smart to say if you come into any investigation with preconceptions you're going to have a distorted conclusion and i think it's so much more healthy to look at the facts you know and then and then have and then come up with your with 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 your uh, conclusions now one of the, the the issues here as well is that I do a lot of criticizing of science, and um, that's just one thing that I'm interested in, the whole materialistic framework. But is there also something here about religion? I mean, do you, do you look at, at, um, at religion as also sort of expelling, if you will, uh, the, the supernatural events? Is is there, or in other words, does religion too have to change? Oh, absolutely. I listen. I've spent my whole life criticizing religion. I yeah. I'm I'm very critical of religion on a lot of levels. So here's the basic shtick, though, for me. I see paranormal events as proto-religion, as the building blocks of basic religious ideas and beliefs. So, for example. Uh, I think people encounter dead loved ones all the time right. in their dreams, in physical form, on the deathbed. They have unusual experiences of departed souls. So you can well imagine how those paranormal events could then be built up into a belief in the soul or the immortality of the soul or the belief that we survive bodily death. And then those beliefs in turn can be built up into more elaborate religious teachings and rituals and institutions. And eventually you get religion. Once you get a religion, though, it has to protect itself from competing claims or competing experiences. And therefore, it will almost always dismiss or resist religious experiences or claims that can't be slotted into its teachings. So, for example, if you read the Bible and you read it carefully now, you will... In other words, so Joseph is a dream diviner. He predicts the future by interpreting dreams. The Levi priests ro uh, use a kind of divination method to, to determine what to do. Uh, Moses parts the Red Sea. Moses turns a, 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 a rod into a snake, exactly like the magicians of the Pharaoh, by the way. And on and on and on. In the same text, however, you will find passages... Uh, condemning mediums and sorcerers and any kind of attempt to contact the dead. So the paranormal is canalized or grabbed when it affirms the religious worldview, but it's resisted or demonized or condemned 
when it challenges or can't be slotted into it. So I think our religions actually work not unlike our conventional science today. They assume an established worldview and they push back and, and resist or create an immunological response to anything that, that can't be fit in. And the paranormal cannot be fit in, in general, to any of these worldviews. That's why I often say I'm writing beyond belief and beyond reason. It, it, it just doesn't fit. Yeah, it's almost it's almost as if uh, to to put it almost crudely, it, it's almost as if uh, the Orthodox religions have picked their magicians, and, the, and this is the only magician that you could honor, and all other magicians are therefore quacks. Uh, you know, it, it's there there, but you know, there's no doubt in my mind though that the story of the Bible is a powerful. A, a powerful account of supernatural events. It, it doesn't mean, but and I and I do think because it's powerful, it has garnered like almost all the attention, and therefore these other episodes that we read about, such as in um, Phantasms of the Living, for example, are somehow sort of discarded or put on the outskirts. Where, in my view. They're all part of the same world. It's all. It's all. It's a. It's a continuum, with maybe peaks and valleys. But it's not as if all legitimate supernatural events only occurred in the Bible. That's correct. Okay. I think that's correct, Philip. But it's darker than that yeah. because the the worldviews that came out of the Bible systematically suppressed and even destroyed entire cultures that work from a different understanding of the supernatural. Yeah. I mean, the history of Western colonialism in the Americas is partly a history of Christian uh, Christianity coming in and, and literally wiping out whole indigenous cultures because of their presumed demonic or heathen beliefs and practices. Yeah. When, when in fact, they simply had different understandings of the supernatural. Yeah. Um, so I, it's the, and let me tell you why else it's 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 so challenging for religious people. So a few a few years ago on CNN, a story appeared in which a hairdresser from New Jersey um, was was um, met one of her former customers at the door at about I think it was about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. I don't remember the man's name, but he simply wanted to thank her. Her name was Nina for all the times that she helped him through his various life crises. Um, and, um, and then he left. Uh, that evening, Nina discovered that that same man had killed himself um, about eight or ten hours before she had met him at her front door. And she didn't see an apparition or a ghost. She saw a physical man at her door. Yeah. Okay, so there's the story. So now what strikes me as a comparativist is that's essentially the story we get in the Gospels with the resurrected Jesus. A physical Jesus appears to his mourning disciples after his death. So one could say, oh, well, Nina's story confirms Christian belief. Well, yes and no. It 
suggests that the gospel appearances were likely historical in some sense, but it also strongly argues that there's nothing unique about them, that these things continue right into the present and can happen in New Jersey in the 20th century as easily as they can happen in Palestine in the first century. So paranormal experiences are what I would call bimodal. They, they, ha they cut both ways. They affirm the reality and truth of basic religious beliefs, but they do not confirm the exclusive truth claims of any particular religion. Yeah, yeah, and one way to put that is why should we in this modern era where we are at not only a a highly evolved intellectual state or at least the highest evolved intellectual state that we've been in and in a hypercritical state, why should we accept the resurrection as true but not the event you just mentioned? Why? Because and the answer to that, Philip, is because many of us, many of our subjectivities, our very persons, were formed by Christianity. And to question Christianity is to question ourselves. And we don't want to do that. It's right. too uncomfortable. Right. And so it's much easier just to deny Nina's experience and say, oh, that's just a story of a, you know, a crazy hairdresser or something. When... In fact, it's just as legitimate and just as real as what happens in, in, in the Gospels. Yeah. It's just we've, we've authorized and sacralized the Gospels over 2,000 years of, of Christian history. And Nina's just a hairdresser from New Jersey. She's got nothing. Uh, so religion is about history and power and institution. It's not just about belief and experience. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's any doubt that that's why we have to to go beyond religion and the one one way to put this and is what is the difference for a true believer in Christianity what is the difference between viewing the resurrection as let's call it a mass hallucination for the sake of let's just call it that as opposed to a real, a quote-unquote real resurrection. You know, you could say, if you call it a real resurrection, that, okay, this guy is special, right? He, this is, this never happened in the history of the world. It will never happen again where somebody dies and comes back from the grave. And therefore, this person's special and we should pray to him. As opposed to this incident telling us something about the makeup of the world, Right. You know, and and so, so it leads it leads me to you know to think: is it more uh, beneficial overall to view these events as being signals of the nature of the world, or to categorize them as being special events from the only God? That will never happen again. I mean, it's is this something you thought about? I mean, is is there any is there any value? I mean, it, it goes to this institutional thing, which I completely agree with. Which yeah, I mean, of course, I've thought about that for forty years, yeah. and I the the there are lots of issues there, though, Philip, tied up. So uh, listen, I I think the resurrection really happened, but I don't think it was a one-time event, and I don't think it was 
the revitalization of a corpse. I, I think that they were witnessing a, some kind of physical apparition that was likely the person in presence of, of Jesus. But I think Nina in her hairdressing shop in New Jersey had the same sort of experience. I don't think it's unique to any culture or any time. I think it's a part of human nature right. that we all share. And I think we should be studying these things because um, we're much we're much greater, we're much more cosmic and, and marvelous than we imagine. But we but once religion kicks in, we begin to identify these paranormal events with one community, one tribe, one culture, which then has to be in competition with all the other cultures and communities and tribes. And suddenly we're in a kind of global chess game where there's going to be winners and losers. And there's going to be a lot of violence, by the way, too. And so that's where I try to step in as a historian of religions and say, now, wait a minute. We, we don't have to play this chess game. We don't have to. But the truth is, is we are. We still are. And that's why, largely why the, the world looks the way it looks right now. It's a mess. It's right. a complete mess. Right. Right. Now, that, that leads me to the, the question, which is, do you yourself have any uh, goal, any quest? Do you view yourself as as you know, and obviously you're an academic, but you're also really pushing the envelope on our understanding of where religion and and the religious experience fits in to our modern culture. Do you have sort of like a a, a hidden agenda somewhere where you're trying to change the the, the mindset of of folks here? I mean, what what is your what's your What's your end game? What's your goal? Right. So I totally have a hidden agenda, but it's not hidden, Philip. I, <laughs> I talk about it and write about it constantly. Yeah, yeah I, I love it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing hidden about it at all. Good, good. good. Here's, here's what I'm about. Right. So I am a deeply, deeply religious man, but I don't have a religion. Okay. And I think all of the religions are... Uh, in a state of profound anachronism and that a lot of our sufferings are a kind of gross come from a gross anachronistic mismatch between what we know about the world and ourselves today and what we thought we knew 1500 or 2000 or 2500 years ago and that we have to move out of those older stories and we have to move into a newer story and I see my role as just one little humble writer or intellectual trying in a larger community of intellectuals and writers to fashion that new story so that when people have these sorts of extraordinary experiences they don't feel alone or they don't feel shamed and they can see that these experiences point to some kind of greater human spirit or greater human destiny so that's why i'm a writer i as you know if you read authors of the impossible i don't see writing as some kind of mechanical cognitive exercise for me it's a kind of occult or paranormal practice that can actually conjure what it is I'm writing about. And so when I write books, that's really what I'm doing. I'm trying to conjure 
this new story or conjure this new world into being, which I don't know what it is, though, Philip. I'm I'm with everyone else in the present, but what I'm imagining I'm doing is working for some future culture or some future story. And I'm not trying to defend or believe in some past story. Yeah, well, that I'm glad that the agenda wasn't wasn't hidden um, because it it makes it um, how can I put this more um, real and more upfront, and I think it's got a better chance of of succeeding. The it's very similar to where I'm at, which is that when I talked in the top of the show about the way we tend to um, sort of classify. Um, science and religion put put the ideas on the shelf. What I think that does is I think it makes us take the world for granted. I think if if I have one criticism, I have a lot of criticisms of modern science, but one of them would be that they take the universe for granted. They assume if you really read about, and you may have done this, but I have. If you really read about how science believes the world was created, the universe was created, um, the the best that I could find is this guy who came up with the quantum fluctuation theory. He says, universes are just things that happen from time to time. That's essentially what the explanation is. And then when you move to religion, it's, well, God did it. God's in heaven. And it was a miracle. Now let's move on. Uh, what that does to me, it makes us. To me, it makes us take the universe for granted. And I think when you enrich our perspective by treating some of these supernatural events as real, and you get into them like you've gotten into them, and really looked at the the basis, the stories, you see that we really live in an enchanted world. Which is, I think, what you say, and what I would, what I, what I think is true, and I, I hope uh, deeply that if we sort of um, ingrain the enchantment, if we really understand that's true, we might start being better people. I mean, that's sort of my, in a summary, where I'm at with this, and I sort of think that that's what you're saying as well. I hope it's something like that. But is that sort yeah. of, yeah? Yeah, that's very cl- that's it basically. <laughs> I mean, I would what I would say is that the religious answers and the scientific consensus are both way too certain, and that they shut down the questioning and they shut down the search. And I want to keep the search going, and I want to keep asking questions because I don't think those answers are really satisfying. I. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's really, and I don't, and I really, over the past, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, and I remember, I mean, I have a philosophy degree, and I've been um, into this area for 30-some 30, 30 years as well, not obviously as deeply as you in, in the religious part of things, but I have seen a change, a more um, open-minded uh, look at these very issues we're talking about. I mean, I, I mention a lot about how, if you go back 30 years, there was a Tao of Physics, there was these supernatural books, there was, a, you know, there was the Phantasms of the Living, but, you know, there was 
some some really classic books there. But over time, I think the credibility of the authors has increased. And I do think the acceptance has increased. But it's almost as if their ideas searching for a worldview. You know? Yeah, I would agree with that. I um, I just finished a book <laughs> called The Flip, and um, it's about scientists and intellectuals who are strict, hard-nosed materialists, and then they have some kind of extraordinary experience, and their world flips. They they become uh, convinced in the fundamental nature of consciousness. But they realized that actually their science still works just fine, that, that materialism was just an interpretation of science. It, it wasn't science itself. And I, I think more and more uh, academics and scientists and, and, and people are willing to step out of the closet and, and say these things. And I, so I find a lot of hope in that. I, I, with you, I think it's getting better. I don't think we've yet tripped over or flipped over to another worldview, but I think we're, you know, <laughs> slouching or yeah. or stumbling toward one. Yeah. Well, as as uh, even though um, you know Sherlock Holmes is not exactly the um, the leading authority on on the scientific method. I mean, he had that one line, uh, something about when you when you've eliminated. The impossible, what's ever left standing, however improbable, is the truth. And and eventually, you know, I just feel like if it's true, then it's going to remain standing. It's very simple. And and therefore, uh, it, it may take time, but but like uh, eventually, if when enough people have these experiences or when enough people go through the, 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 the reasoning process and really read the great thinkers if you if you read the great thinkers such as plato kant hume hegel those i mean and um obviously uh many others you realize that the world's a little richer than we we make we may have come to believe um right 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 and which with with sherlock i mean that method might work just fine to solve a crime but it's a horrible method you know, before they understood what a meteorite was, all kinds of scientists said that it was impossible that rocks could fall from the sky. That was the dumbest thing they've ever heard. But once they had a model and they understood what space was and what outer space is filled with, then suddenly that's not only possible, it's totally predictable. So what we think is possible and impossible shifts dramatically from century to century and that's that's i think our real task here is to because most most secular people think that the paranormal is impossible but that's just false it happens all the time so what we have to do is get to a worldview in which even uh secular people can understand why those things happen and they can see it's not impossible at all and then i think they'll accept them yeah, well, I, I I always observe that one of the great contradictions in science and in religion, but it's such a it's such an amazing contradiction that I'm I'm surprised that it hasn't come to the forefront. But you have folks such as the leading scientists assuming the entire existence of the universe, this ordered, harmonious universe from nothing. But then you have them disparaging a couple pre 
cognitive dream events. I mean, it's like, well, you accept this gigantic, this one gigantic miracle as being just something that happens, but then you reject somebody that actually dreams that they're that they're relatives going to get into a car accident i mean it just it just doesn't make any sense to me i don't i don't i don't understand it i mean the way i joke about that is why is it that the physicists and the cosmologists get to say any crazy damn thing they want like you know talking about ghost particles right teleportation and entanglement and multiple universes and blah 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 and we all just you know, shake our heads and say, "Isn't that cool?" But yeah. <laughs> as you say, when some poor soul just stands up and say, "Well, I, you know, I dreamed about um, getting into a car accident before it happened," then suddenly that's woo-woo. That's yeah. that's crazy. That it's just uh, um, that's just hypocrisy in my in my book. It's yeah. Just, it, I just I don't I don't understand. I mean, I don't understand it. My my best. I I always say that. I mean, my best explanation for the whole thing is that if you're controlling the airwaves, if you're writing the narrative, the plot, then right. then then you could then you could you know designate which things are crazy and which things are hard nosed science, and right. and I think that we need to change the narrative. So uh, we have a couple minutes here. We probably don't have enough time to do this justice, but you have. I'd like to have you just maybe um, talk a couple. Shortly about your your concept of of human as two, which is which is maybe tied to things we've been talking about, but it is sort of an original. I think it's an original um, concept of yours, and it, it appears throughout your the Secret Body book. But what do you mean by human as two? Well, it's a poetic device, but but basically what I mean is that. We consider a lot of these things impossible because we make the mistake of thinking that we are just our egos or that, you know, Philip is just Philip or Jeff is just Jeff. When in fact, Philip and Jeff are probably tips of a a massive iceberg, most of which is entirely under the water and largely unconscious. And that that bigger Jeff or that bigger Philip you know, has its fingers into the future, into the environment, into other people, and we're constantly uh, interacting with the world in ways that go far, far beyond any sensory input or any kind of rational thinking. And that once we recognize that human is too, that we're both, we're both social egos and persons, but also this vaster field of consciousness then a lot of this stuff ceases to be so problematic and it actually begins to make a lot of sense um and so that's that's basically what i mean by it yeah well that that's good to know i mean that's it's like saying i mean i always say that we are gods with a small g in training and and so it goes to this 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 notion about writing your own story and I always say that if you if you had complete freedom of mind, complete if you had complete creative freedom, would you write a story of of you being a dorm a doomed mortal creature um, with no hope, uh, living in an impersonal universe, uh, or would you write a story about you becoming divine? And becoming a god, 
uh, you know, becoming an angel, whatever, whatever vision you want to have. And, and, you know, I'm all about not limiting not your worldview, but also not limiting who we can be. So with that, we have quickly come to the end. And Hey, Phil, yes, sir. can I just say one more thing? Yeah, go right ahead. So I just want you to know, if you don't already, that the man who coined the word paranormal in 1903 um, was a... Um, was a prosecuting attorney. <laughs> that figures. So what, yeah. what was what was the uh, what was it, the, the fact the driving? Um, well, his name was jo- Joseph Maxwell, okay. and uh, he was uh, an attorney, but also became a medical doctor. And he wrote a book uh, called "If No Man and he was basically looking at things like poltergeist and telekinetic phenomena, and uh, he coined the word paranormal to kind of get beyond the word supernatural you know all it means is to the side of or beyond the normal yeah um but he was a lawyer so uh, you're in good company well well well, that's well well, that's good you know i i draw connections between um sort of critiquing critiquing an expert witness and critiquing a a scientist or or a, or a religious professor or a paranormal researcher in other words you look at the evidence and you look at their reasoning and you look at their conclusions and i don't really and, and you you have to go in there with without preconceptions and so i i do think it's healthy uh and i and i think that part of what i'm learning here and it's almost an obvious point which is that we tend to come into these 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 uh, big ideas or these um these uh, different ideas such as the paranormal with with a lot of baggage uh and and yeah. and we send and leaving aside you know part of the goal is to cleanse the mind uh and and look at things objectively so uh i want to thank you very much um Jeff for for coming on the show and uh, at the top of the show it is Jeffrey Kripal and I want to point out that I would highly recommend any any of his books and maybe first of all I I really liked um, authors of the impossible but but Jeffrey if you were to tell a listener one book to sort of be the entryway to your to your um, thoughts and your, 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 your thinking, which, which book would you recommend for the listeners? Well, two things. First of all, the last book, Secret Body, is the summary and crystallization of all the books. So yeah. it's, it's the best entry point. But also my website, jeffreyjkripal.com, kind of summarizes everything in a fairly short way. And so the reader can go there and just kind of pick and choose whatever she or he's interested in. Yeah. It's, it's all laid out. Yeah, I, I again, I'd highly recommend this because uh, I'm not sure if there's somebody like Professor Kripal out there who is uh, really not only giving these these ideas and these and these historical anecdotes and the religious experience this this original spin, but also doing it in a very approachable way. Uh, and I and the books uh, that I've read um, 
from um, the professor here are very well are very well written and are very entertaining. So once again, uh, I like to thank you for being with us here, um, Professor. It's been a it's been a good time. And again, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 